Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast presented by Mass Live. I'm Chris Cotillo, Sean McAdam alongside on Zoom on uh, one of the worst weather days I think I've ever seen. It's so bad that I'm afraid about rain hitting the window here because it's coming down so hard and being able to... Uh, kind of disrupt the pod so bear with us we uh you know we're like the mail through sleet snow rain whatever the phrase is um and through a crisis many crises electrocution during this podcast i'll yeah take it from there right we get a little we get a little uh water coming through the ceiling here but you know what I, we, saw, we, I think i saw this in the stooges once yeah we it's uh we're going to survive. Um, the Red Sox, on the other hand, might not after uh, one of the worst weekends I can remember for the team. And uh, I don't think we need to go by the blow by blow for anybody who's paying any attention. They know what happened. Alex Verdugo benched after reportedly being late on Saturday um, and the Red Sox getting <clears throat> swept in their home ballpark by the Blue Jays. Uh, I think as Tom Karen pointed out on the broadcast last night, four times they've been swept at home this year, which... For a team that's you know six games over at home, that's kind of hard to believe. And they've been, you know, by the Blue Jays, who are pretty good, but a middling wild card team. Uh, the Pirates, who are bad, the Cardinals, who are bad, and the Marlins, who are actually good. So um, for once, it wasn't a National League team. So at least they're switching it up on that front a little bit. But the playoff odds are down. We know how important those are to the front office. They were like 40% a couple weeks ago, 10 days ago, and now down to 10, 11% chance the Red Sox get in. Um, in the words of the great Johnny Miller, can it get any worse is the question we'll be asking uh, after Pablo Reyes Grand Slam last night. Trevor Story coming back today as we record this. Chris Sale later in the week. A glimmer of hope, but Sean, I'll start here. Um, it went off the rails quickly. Could it really possibly have gotten any worse for the Red Sox over three days? It, it was a bad weekend, Chris. There's no getting away from that. Uh, I, I think the Red Sox would themselves concede that point, not only being embarrassed by being swept by the team they were closest to in the standings, the team they were trying to catch for that third wild, excuse me, third wild card spot. Uh, and not only did they lose three in a row, but they lost at least two of them in pretty convincing fashion and ran into 
uh, a double play at the end of the other one where it looked like they were about to finish off a ninth inning comeback, a breakdown in fundamentals that has been all too common for this team this year on the part of Reese McGuire running the bases. Um, but the backdrop to the loss and the sweep by the Jays was, of course, as you mentioned, the Alex Verdugo drama that dominated the weekend and particularly on Saturday. Uh, it was precisely what this team did not need in the middle of a critical series, whether it threw them off their game, whether it resulted in losing the last two, no way to demonstrate that or no way to prove it empirically, but it certainly uh, was of a piece with what happened to the team over the weekend, embarrassing themselves on the field and off, frankly. This is, I mean, we talked about this the other day in Seattle, right? Like the whole Alex Verdugo experience. We talked about, we had reported that they were shopping him. And now, you know, you kind of see why. And you also might see why in this case, why no team was really willing to bite on a, you know, a talented player. Um, I think Alex Spear of the Globe over the weekend wrote something similar to what we had that was like, you know, rival executives were kind of surprised at how aggressive the Red Sox were in trying to shop this guy. I mean, it's no coincidence when you have kind of a constant headache like this and it just seemed like you know i i've never seen alex cora more angry than he was in the press conference room after the game on saturday he was livid because it just came to a point where you know and despite the fact he backtracked here and there when when pushed on it um he just seemed to have have enough with this player who's driven him crazy throughout his tenure and um oh. at a certain point you know he, he had to take a stand and you know, he, I can't remember, and we've covered, you know, every moment of his tenure, and I can't, or you have, I guess I didn't cover the first two months, uh, technically, in 18, but um, I can't remember him, you know, publicly taking a stand, pulling a player from a game two hours before like this, and being that mad, we took a step back as a team, one of my worst days in the organization, we can get to some of the stuff about how the organization handled it, and I think my feelings were pretty clear in a column over the weekend, but just to see him that mad, it was like, okay, the wheels are really falling off here. And something that, you know, the radio talking heads have talked about the last couple of days, which I think is very true. You know, for this team, the last couple of years, sometimes things have been going good, like they have been the last couple of weeks. And then it just goes into catastrophe mode in like 15 minutes, you know, like they don't get anybody at the deadline. They start playing horribly. And then it just the snowball starts big series. They play badly. They seem to check out. And then this Verdugo thing festers like it just goes from like, okay, everything's okay. This team might have a chance. Maybe they're good. You know, maybe they're going to exceed expectations and then a complete disaster within, you know, 24, 48 hours. And that's just happened, you know, so many times, whether it be in Cleveland, another Verdugo incident, the whole Matt Dermody thing, whether it be at times last year, um, you know, where things really went off the rails, you know, the Plowecki stuff at the end of the year or, you know, different things like there's just times where, you know, it just all falls apart. And ultimately, you know, there's a lot of people to blame for that. Yeah, let, let's take these two issues separately for a minute. You may look at the Alex Cora press conference from Saturday and ask, well, isn't that kind of an overreaction? Guy showed up late. It happens occasionally. It probably happens more than we know about. We see when players come into the actual clubhouse, but we don't always know when they're in the ballpark, maybe getting treatment, maybe upstairs having something to eat, maybe taking uh, swings in the cage underneath those all kinds of places they can hide from us and do. And so we don't always get a sense of who's early, who's late, who's on time. 
But I think you have to look at this uh, in the big picture. And you sort of alluded to it, Chris. In the last, uh, let's call it nine or 10 months, Alex Cora has had to call out Alex Verdugo for not being in suitable shape and challenge him to change that when he reported to spring training in February of this year. He had to remove him from a game and keep him out of the next night's game for failure to hustle on the bases. And of course, over the weekend, uh, because Verdugo showed up about two hours before first pitch, scratched him from the lineup. So all the people saying, uh, well, this is a, a big step backward for the organization. And this is one of the worst years I've had here since managing. If that sounds like an overreaction, uh, I would point out that this is a nearly year-long pattern with Verdugo, and that's just the stuff we know about. You know, who knows what else has taken place between them to change that dynamic where there may have been other incidences where or instances where Cora felt the need to step in and discipline Verdugo. Uh, you see now why the Red Sox not only maybe were, uh, were certainly listening to trade talk, but also have not shown the least bit interest in trying to extend him past 2024 when he'll become an eligible for free agency. That's one issue. The other is the weekend and the sort of maddening inconsistency that this team has shown really all year long, where they'll win seven out of eight, where they'll get to within a game and a half of a playoff spot. And then it doesn't just uh, take a dip or run into a mini losing streak, it goes completely off the rails, either because they're outclassed by inferior teams at home, as you referenced with both the Cardinals uh, and some other teams that have, like, and the Pirates who have beaten them here soundly at home. That should not happen. Uh, at least Toronto is a quality club and a playoff contending club, although, frankly, their record is, uh, you know, until the other day was exactly two games better than the Red Sox. And the Blue Jays themselves came to Boston in the middle of a bad stretch, having been embarrassed in a series against the Orioles, as our guest Dan Schulman referenced uh, when we had him on the last episode. So it, it, it would be hard to come up with a worse 72 hours than what the Red Sox went through from Friday through Sunday, both what they did between the lines and what happened off the field. Now, Monday, to their credit, they respond and pull out a walk-off win, one of the most dramatic games of Fenway of the season. Whether that gives them a bounce or not, whether that turns things around, those kind of games, as Alex Cora said, Monday night in the immediate aftermath of Pablo Reyes's Grand Slam, those kind of games can get a team going. We'll see how that unfolds this week. But they have put themselves in a very tough spot by what happened over the last week in general, and specifically the three days over the weekend. And just to pull back the curtain on Alex Verdugo a little bit, this is a guy that, you know, you and I have both in the last couple, uh, you in San Francisco and me previously a few times this year, when you need him on something in the clubhouse, when you go up to him, he is, for our purposes, when we say good for business, like the most candid, the most uh, kind of easy to talk to, like one of he the better. He wears his on his sleeve. That's true. And it's a, it's a reporter's dream. And like, I think in the media, everybody generally gets along with him because he is, um, you, you, what you see is what you get. He gives great quotes. He gives good insight, you know, when things are going well and when things are not. And so in that case, like this is not a guy who has a combative relationship with the media. So we're just on a day-to-day -day basis pointing out 
what we hear behind the scenes. And then also, you know, when something like this happens, it obvi- it's obvious. I will peel back the curtain here for a second because, you know, something that's taken place with Alex Verdugo in the last couple of years. In each of the last two early, about halfway through the season, I've tried to write a feature on Alex Verdugo's maturity and Alex Verdugo becoming increasingly mature and has he taken a step forward? And last year, 2020, uh, 2022, did a lot of reporting on this, talked to a bunch of players, some former Dodgers teammates, got some guys on the record, you know, got some quotes from Rich Hill about it, Kike Hernandez, some other guys, um, and was prepared to write the story. And while asking around on it, got a call from someone in the organization saying, hey, pump the brakes on this. He's not there yet. Like, we don't want, you know, he's not really showing as much as as maybe it seems like, and there's still some issues here. And, you know, I didn't run the story. This year, he's having a great year. Seems like things are going to be kind of trending in the right direction. I get to the point again where I'm writing the story. Talk to Justin Turner. Talk to Kike Hernandez again. You know, it's starting to dig, do the background reporting for it. He gets benched in Cleveland right in the middle of writing it. And I felt like, well, again, I can't write this. And I just think that that kind of shows you that, he has gotten close, but can't get over that hump. I mean, it looked like this year, the way he started the season, the way he came in into camp in shape, the way Core was happy with him, you know, stumping for him to be an all-star, all that type of stuff. Like, it seemed like he was finally there, only to get benched in Cleveland and benched here. And it's just at a certain point, that you either figure it out or you don't. And um, the clock's ticking with him. Yeah, and as we noted, you can understand why the Red Sox have been reluctant to commit to him long-term, because... You don't know what you're going to get from day to day, week to week, month to month. We've seen him have a terrific start to this year for the first, you know, let's call it six to seven weeks. He was clearly their best player. I give him credit for making significant improvements as a defender. He's he's played gold glove caliber right field in a very challenging ballpark for that position. And there has to be effort for that to take place, right? I mean, right, there has to be. Right. But um, you know, invariably that is followed up by, you know, a month long funk at the plate, uh, some issues with focus and concentration and commitment to the team, as we saw rear its head over the weekend. And I think the unstated part of this on the part of the Red Sox is if he is this mercurial, this up and down when he is going year to year in arbitration and trying to establish himself and try to get a big raise, what would he be like with the security of a five-year, whatever it is, 90 or $100 million deal? And you can understand why they are reluctant to make that commitment. The problem now is that having not traded him at the deadline, and as we reported, they were certainly listening and engaged with teams on talks. They didn't find anything they thought was worth doing. That's fine. But they now go into this offseason with the knowledge that Verdugo's reputation around the game has been further sullied by his own behavior and whatever trade value he has, it's less now than it was 10 days ago before the deadline arrived and they have to deal with that loss and that fallout. Uh, So their choice now is to take 50 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar this winter, or hope that the prospect of approaching free agency in 2024 somehow not only spurs Verdugo to play better, but enables him to keep that consistent level for all of next year 
Maybe then if they see long-term changes, they can engage in extension talks. Maybe they just walk away and you get nothing but a draft pick for him if indeed they qualify him next year. There's a lot of unknown about him going forward and his future with the Red Sox. As I think I said last week, the ceiling there, Kenley Jansen saw him come up in L.A., Kenley Jansen saw the early parts of career, seen the talent on a day-to-day basis now, and said to me in spring training, this dude could be a Hall of Famer. Probably hyperbole, but still, from a guy who might be a Hall of Famer saying that, you know, he he could be a Hall of Famer if he applies himself, and clearly not there yet. Well, we could talk Alex Verdugo all day. We won't. Um, but there are plenty of things to get to with this Red Sox team after the way they played the week, over the weekend. Sean, you ran a column today uh, as we speak Tuesday morning um, on – the Red Sox are about to get a bunch of reinforcements back. Is it enough? Trevor Story will make his team debut tonight. Trevor Story, uh, Chris Sale will uh, probably return from the injured list Friday. Garrett Whitlock could be Sunday. Tanner Houck shortly after that. So you have three of your most you know talented arms. I think Houck can sail in the rotation. Whitlock in a multi-inning relief role. And Story, your starting shortstop, at least on an every-other-day basis right now. Is it enough? And is it too late in the minds of... Mass Lives uh, calling the Shamaka. Well, I, I think there will be contributions from all four of those guys, some greater than others, obviously. Story is a very good player. Um, you know, to me, he's an all-star caliber player who can show great range and athleticism on the uh, in the middle of the infield, either second or short. Uh, we, we should assume um, and we'll see that the surgery on his elbow back in January will make his, his throw stronger from the shortstop hole, and he'll be the player he was uh, in Colorado before arriving, you know, perhaps somewhat damaged goods in his first year with the Red Sox. But even then, uh, an excellent base runner, a good base stealer, decent pop. This is a guy that you can expect to hit 25 home runs or more a year if he's healthy. All those things are great, but what is the reality of what they can expect for Tre- from Trevor's story over these last seven weeks? It's clear it's going to take a little time to get back into the groove. He has not played since last September 11th. It's going to take a, t- a while to get his timing down. It's going to take a while for his body to be able to uh, build up the stamina needed to play every day. So to think that Trevor's story is going to come in and just by his presence – you know, have a huge impact is probably setting the bar too high. And that obviously applies too to Chris Sale, who, as I wrote, we have to face, uh, you know, the, the, the undeniable fact that the next pitch Chris Sale throws can always be the last of not only the season, but potentially the career. When you look at the injuries he's had over the last year and a half, a broken rib, a broken finger, a broken wrist, and more recently, uh, the shoulder blade uh, issue that forced him out on June 1st and will result in him missing a little more than two months. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Sale was very good from late April up until June 1st. He was uh, approximating the Chris Sale that we saw at the height of his power. But uh, he is fragile. There, There is no more fragile player in the game. And so to think that they're going to get nine or ten quality starts from him over the last seven weeks is probably aiming a little too high. And finally, with Houck and uh, Whitlock, two talented guys who still have, I think, high ceilings in the big leagues, 
but take a step back and ask yourself, what have they accomplished and how were they performing before each got injured? Uh, you know, Whitlock was struggling to make the transition to the starter starting rotation. Uh, they're putting him back in the bullpen tellingly here for at least the time being. We'll see how he contributes. Historically, he's been better as a reliever than a starter. Tanner Houck, you see good, you see bad. You have one good start followed by a mediocre one or a poor one. So to think that some switch is going to get flipped here in the next week or 10 days when these four guys come back and that all of a sudden the Red Sox are going to take off and win 15 out of 20 is probably not realistic. All those guys are welcome. All of them can contribute. All of them can make the Red Sox better, even in the short run. Mm -hmm. But to think that all four are going to be uh, are going to hit the ground running and make an impact right away is probably uh, asking for too much. The Trevor Story thing to me is interesting. And, and I wrote this the other day and something we both heard behind the scenes is that he's a guy that likes to be 100% before he comes back. And that seemed to be the case. And, and it's not like Alex Cora or anybody in the front office was throwing him under the bus publicly with this delay and wanting to be in AAA. But to put on my, you know, radio conspiracy theory hat as i said to you last night when we were talking i just after losing all three to the blue jays i feel like there was maybe more than a gentle nudge to trevor story saying hey i know you want to come back thursday but we need you dude right like this is you get it at a certain point that's enough at bats at triple a we'll play every other day here you can dh sometimes but when I, you know we need you and coincidentally the last night before trevor story the the shortstop has an all-time game with reyes last night which is funny and ironic and all that but i mean i understand a player wanting to feel like he's fully healthy and avoiding setbacks but it just seemed it got to a point where you know maybe hidden by the verdugo stuff a little bit i think fans were starting to notice saying hey we're falling out of it and you're taking all these at bats at worcester and you know, he originally said Friday, and then it was pushed back another five games, including three against a division rival. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of frustration behind the scenes and a little bit um, of urgency there to get him back in the lineup. And, I, you know, to me, this whole idea that he changed his mind, I uh, somewhat doubt that that happened all, you know, organically and on his own. You know, not to be the tinfoil hat guy, but, like, it's just – it's hard to believe. I don't, I don't and, think and, that's a big – I don't think that's a big leap uh, yeah. at all to take. I think there was some uh, some gentle nudging, uh, but maybe a little more forceful than gentle, saying, hey, look, uh, we, we can't afford to wait. Even if you're not playing every day, every game that we have you in the lineup is better than, frankly, having Yu Chang or Pablo Reyes play shortstop, mm -hmm. a, a, uh, uh, a, a guy who's still recovering from surgery, a guy who hasn't played in a major league contest since last September, is still more talented, more skilled, more able to impact the game than either of those two guys. Although not Pablo Reyes last night, though. Well, that's true. One at bat uh, does not, however, a career. No, it was make. a great, great game all around. He did have a good game. He did have a, an important double, and he, then he had the uh, uh, the walk off grand slam. And uh, it, it, I think you and I both thought that Yu Chang uh, is likely to be the odd man out here as this uh, goes up and is available to all our listeners on. Uh, on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you can have a good chuckle at my expense now if, as you're watching this, uh, Pablo Reyes has been DFA'd over Yu Chang. I doubt that was going to be the case before last night. I'm pretty sure that what Pablo Reyes did in those nine innings last night probably further cemented his place here. He's more versatile. 
He's a better offensive performer. He's faster. Uh, the one thing that Chang has over him is that he's a better pure shortstop. And while there will have to be some time where a story sits and they have to have run somebody else out there, I think they're okay with Reyes playing that shortstop position, you know, three or four times in the next week or so while story builds up his stamina and then having a more versatile backup uh, to go with Luis Urias at, at second base. But, um, you know, it, it really is all about what are they going to get right away? How soon, how big an impact mm-hmm. uh, and story. It does seem like, um, I don't know if you want to use the word shamed or pushed or cajoled or whatever your favorite, your, your verb of choice here. It's logical to assume that the Red Sox asserted at least a little more influence on him to press upon him, the urgency and the fact that there was no time to waste. Yeah. And that uh, will be the case is he'll be in the lineup tonight and there will be a roster move that, as you said, will probably drop right around when the pod drops. So, Look, we can do our best to predict the future, but we're not that good. Last thing we will talk about, as I said, the playoff odds I don't have in front of me. I think they were down to in the 10 to 11 range. We've heard now from Bloom over and over, this is something they look at. I think they have internal projections. I think they have their own you know, numbers that go uh, kind of as um, guide points. Do you look at this and look at a 10%, 11% chance to make the playoffs and think, they're cooked, they're done, or is there still a window here considering how many you know bad teams they're playing here with three more against the Royals, three against the Tigers, three against Washington, three against a reeling Yankees team? Um, is there a light at the end of this tunnel, or do you think that Blue Jays series was the end? Well, it certainly was a tough blow for them. I don't know that it uh, necessarily uh, wipes out any possibility of them qualifying for the postseason. Uh, And I'm looking at baseball reference as we record this podcast. Uh, Baseball reference has them just under 10% at 9.5% to get Mm -hmm. into the postseason. Uh, Those are almost all odds uh, funneled toward the wild card spot. They have a less than 0.1% of winning the division. Uh, Obviously that's, that's going to be highly difficult, if not impossible. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it, uh, this sounds rather obvious, but a lot of it's going to be how much do they take advantage of what the schedule lays out for them in the next 10 days. Uh, you've got four games with Kansas City, a team nearly as bad as Oakland. You've got three games with a reeling Detroit Tigers that were getting closer to 500 uh, not long ago, but have since uh, uh, regressed and uh, headed to fourth place in the AL Central. And then Washington, a team that has been tanking and is slowly building back up. Uh, that is a gift. That is a 10-game present with a bow on it for the Red Sox to try to go something like 7-3, and three, maybe even 8-2 and two against bad teams, fatten up, because it gets a lot harder after that, where you have uh, the Yankees, you have Houston, uh, you have uh, still another road trip to Toronto, you've got a Labor Day week visit to Tampa, uh, it, you know, this is their last respite here, their last break. And we know that one of the hallmarks of this team is they have often played better. They played up to the level of competition and they played down. We referenced the the disappointing series at home against Pittsburgh and Colorado and St. Louis, three teams with losing records. And yet the, the, the Red Sox are seven and three, even after the weekend against Toronto and six and one against the Yankees. So 
They can play good, well against good teams, but they also have struggled to beat teams they should. For the next nine days, they have to beat those teams they should to even give themselves a chance. Yep, and you know I, I hate when people come in, on Twitter and say, "What do they need? Nine of these ten, or do they, or, you know, do they need eight of these ten? Like, you don't know, but they probably need like eight or nine of, of those, these games. And yeah, we, um, we can we can set seven as the absolute floor. There, they've got to right. go no worse than seven and three. And uh, that starts or started last night with the first one, and tonight with Trevor Story back in the lineup and a lot going on at Fenway. That's Sean McAdam. I'm Chris Cotillo on. I feel like we say this every week, but a busy week for the Red Sox. We'll be back later in the week. Guest TBD, but we have an idea that it could be somebody fun and somebody you're going to enjoy hearing from who's been in the news in the last week. Not Alex Verdugo, though. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.